Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. We live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. There may soon be just three of the 50 United States that don't have at least one day of in-person early voting. That's because Connecticut residents on Election Day voted in favor of early voting. That doesn't mean, though, that when we all go to the polls in the 2023 municipal elections, that we may get to do it if we choose prior to Election Day. Early voting still has to be implemented by going through the state legislature first. This hour, we'll talk about early voting and its prospects for implementation in Connecticut with the newly elected Secretary of the State, State Representative Stephanie Thomas. And we'll zoom out and talk about early voting across America with senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, John Hudak. And you can join the conversation. Did you vote for early voting? And what about something Connecticut doesn't have yet? No excuse absentee balloting. We want to hear from you on that. Call 888-720-9677 or 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. But first, I'm joined now by Dr. Bilal Siku, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Hartford, also Chairman of the Advisory Board of the nonprofit, nonpartisan Citizens Lobby, Common Cause Connecticut. Good morning, Dr. Siku. Good morning, Frankie. I'm used to calling you the professor, so I'll jump back and forth. So if you hear <laughs> Professor Dr. Siku, you know I'm talking to Bilal. Hey, why, why, why do you and your colleagues at Common Cause care so much about early voting? Well, we care a lot about early voting because we care about creating an opportunity for every citizen in the United States to be able to exercise what is really the most fundamental basic right you should have in a democratic society, which is the opportunity to vote. And so easing access to the polls is just something that is in our DNA, and we work across the country trying to make that happen. Connecticut is one of only four states in the United States. We're talking about being looped in here, it sounds like, with Alabama and Mississippi as not having any form of early voting. Why is that? Well, you know, part of the problem here in Connecticut is that this is something that we needed to do by changing the Connecticut Constitution. And so what this vote was about was trying to give voters the opportunity to put their stamp of approval for the legislature to actually do the work of amending the Constitution and coming up with a system that will allow people to er to vote early um, during the election season. You and I talked after a recent Secretary of the State debate that aired on Connecticut Public. You highlighted the work of former Secretary of the State Denise Merrill on early voting. Would you consider her a champion of early voting? And can you highlight those efforts here? Oh, absolutely. The secretary, the former Secretary of State worked for years on this issue, pushing it in the Connecticut uh, General Assembly. She has been a strong advocate of it. She organized a lot, was a part of a, a group of people across the state, along with the League of Women Voters. Common Cause in Connecticut was a part of this effort as well to try to uh, push this across the finish line. It was something, as you know, 
was attempted back in 2014. It failed for a number of reasons, really bad language. It was coupled with changes to absentee uh, balloting. It was confusing to voters. This time around, the language was really clear, and I think and most people got it. You know, the result was 59% voted in favor of it. And so 530,000 roughly Connecticut residents said yes to early voting. And not to make you a little nervous, Bilal, but we got a big time guest coming up soon. Uh, not not <laughs> quite yet, but we got a secretary of the state, the newly elected secretary of the state, Stephanie Thomas, joining us. But first, I got a fun one for you, Bilal. Can you okay. distinguish the difference here between early voting and voting by absentee ballot? I got to say this and I got to tell on myself here. I'm snitching on myself a little bit because I <laughs> messed this up when we were talking about this at the debate. There's a difference, isn't there, between early voting and voting by absentee ballot? Right. So early voting. No is excuse. In, absentee balloting. Excuse me. I, I, yeah, that's fine. Early voting is in-person voting. So this will allow voters to show up before Election Day. And one of the things that Connecticut let lawmakers will have to work out is what this system will look like. Some states allow early voting several weeks ahead of the election. Uh, Connecticut, at least in terms of what I've been hearing, we're probably looking at somewhere between three days and seven days that will allow early voting to occur. So you show up at some designated polling place and you actually cast your ballot. You show a form of identification just like you do on election day. Many of the advocates of early voting say they really like it because it's actually more secure perhaps than what absentee ballots are. Under the absentee ballot system and Connecticut restricts it to certain you know, explanations that you would offer in order to be able to vote early. The exception, of course, was made during the COVID era where fear of contracting COVID or perhaps having COVID could be an excuse. And so we kind of had a system of no excuse absentee ballots. But if we return to the system we had um, in place before, you would need to have some excuse to be able to vote early uh, through absentee ballot and essentially you would send it through the mail or you would hand deliver it to city hall and again these are two very different systems yeah i don't want to i got to watch how i frame this next question cuz i don't want to make it like people are being nefarious out there but do you think it, we're talking about covid potentially people getting sick or something like that or maybe they just say that they're going to be somewhere else for the for the week or something like that but really they want to vote early uh, or they want to vote via absentee do you think people are voting via absentee ballot that I guess don't necessarily qualify? Does that make any sense? Well, right. I mean, right now under the, the law, and this was a special sort of uh, exception that was created uh, by the legislature for the governor to allow uh, no excuse absentee balloting. And so it really didn't matter what your explanation was. Again, you know, part of I think that question is fueled by the belief uh, that fraud is a problem you know, with our election system. And most of the research that political scientists do, in fact, the preponderance of the research political scientists do, things like impersonator fraud is really rare. Um, Those election officials at the local level work really hard to make sure our elections are fair, to make sure that the process is accessible to people. And so that's not something that most people worry about, and it's not something I think we need to worry about. Can we compare then early voting and no excuse absentee balloting? Like, is one better than the other or do we need both? I think we need both. And I think both of them are important to giving voters the option that they need in order to, as I said before, to exercise the most fundamental right 
of a democracy. When we think about, you know, having the opportunity to do early voting, there are a lot of things, you know, at, at stake. There are lots of single parents, for example, who may not have the opportunity to get to the polls early or may need to get home to cook and to make sure kids, are, you know, are taking, you know, being cared for. Um, there are commuters who have to ride long trains. And here in Connecticut, a lot of folks work in New York, for example, or other states who ride, you know, who are commuters. This gives them an opportunity to vote early, uh, you know, rather than, you know, need to stand in line on election day. We know that early voting shortens the lines. And so people don't have to stand in line for long periods of time. I mean, the way to think about this, and we'll get into this later, but nationally, about 45 million American citizens voted early this time around. And in-person um, voting was about 20 million of those ballots that were cast. And so this is something that Americans like. This is something that Americans want. And here in Connecticut, voters decided that this is a, a change to our election system that they believe should occur and that we need to create those opportunities for people to exercise that basic fundamental democratic right. Something else that Connecticut residents decided on this November, Bilal Siku, is the election of the next Secretary of the State in Connecticut, State Representative Stephanie Thomas. And it's my pleasure now to welcome her on Where We Live. How are you, Representative Thomas? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Frankie. Good morning. All right. So you so you heard Bilal talk for a few minutes on early voting. Anything you want to add on what he said? Um, I will. But there's something he said about no excuse absentee ballots. Um, uh, your question. I don't think people are doing anything nefarious, but I have run across people who thought they were allowed to vote by absentee ballot who were not. Um, commuters are a prime example. One of our uh, tight restrictions used to be you had to be out of town. And some people thought, hey, I'm out of town most of the day, so let me vote by absentee ballot. But that was illegal until last year uh, when we, I'm sorry, this year when we passed a new law. So I think voters make mistake, and um, I will always highlight the need for a more robust civic education program to uh, address that. Newly elected secretary of the state. So uh, I'm sure you're, you're thinking about that, but you're, I'm sure you're also thinking about early voting. What's your office doing in preparation uh, for, I guess, the official day where you step in? And we talk about early voting here as well. Let's focus on the early voting part. Sure. I um, So I have been looking into it just as a state rep and a private citizen. I take office in January. The current secretary's office um, is actually doing a study, which should be released by the end of the year. But I've been spending my time this year speaking with registrars of voters and other interested parties just to figure out what it might look like here in Connecticut so I can hit the ground running and make a strong recommendation. Can you offer us any uh, insight? I know it's early. Can you offer us any insight on what that recommendation might look like? It's a little too early for what it might look like, but I would remind your listeners, um, most people, when they talk about the early voting period, they talk about the number of days. But we also need to think about the days of the week and what days that, you know, is it going to include one weekend, two weekends, etc.? the number of hours per day. Um, every state does it differently. You know, maybe on a Saturday, it's all day, but during the week, it's two hours a day. Um, and also, 
um, how we can best alleviate the rush on election day itself, which is what leads to some of the cost savings. So I am looking at all of those parameters um, and also some of the concerns. Yeah, when you the your opponent in the in the race was uh, Republican Dominic Rapini, and at one point, I'm not sure if he said this during a debate that you guys had or it was in an interview that I did with him. He talked about some kind of scenario where you could see early voting 30 days out. Maybe he said it was a period of 30 days out, not necessarily um, 30 days of early voting. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard you, you say that, though. Is, what's your what's your ideal length, Representative yeah, Thomas? No, exactly. I've never said that. I've not heard anyone in the legislature say it as well. Um, most people weigh in in that uh, three to seven days. Uh, I weigh in three to five. Um, it is a bit early. Um, uh, we have a few things we have to grapple with here in Connecticut that is different than other states, perhaps, in that we don't have uh, a county form of government or election administration. So many states offer early voting through a county clerk's office. So people may travel great distances to get to that one place. Uh, we will have to look at um, more of a vote center model um, where perhaps it's a town hall or a library. Some people do it in firehouses or community centers. We'll want to look at a place that is typically open during the week so that we can help keep the costs down and that we don't make this unfunded mandate to each and every town. And one more thing uh, that that uh, Dominic Rapini was saying as he was going against you was that he thought early voting would cost too much to implement. That's why he was not in favor of it. What are your thoughts? He was using a figure based on um, if we opened every polling center like we do during a general election. Um, that is not a model that anyone follows, and nor would we here in Connecticut. Um, as I mentioned, most states are looking um, for places that are typically open so that there's uh, it's usually only on the weekend that you have to add some additional costs. Um, I, for one, will certainly be lobbying the legislature legislature to attach some dollars to whatever early voting model I recommend so that it is not pushed off on the towns. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep you on the line, uh, Representative Thomas, but I also want to bring Bilal in here to join in that conversation. Dr. Siku, you were you you were at those debates. You you saw Representative Thomas and uh, and uh, and and Dominic Rapini. Dominic had, had had one of the things he was talking about was if you vote in an election prior to election day, maybe you miss out on an October surprise or something like that if it's too early. What can you generally tell me about early voting periods and, and when they should take place or whatever? Sorry if my yeah. question is too crude there, but just give me an idea of when when it's possible or what we're seeing, I guess, nationally in terms of when people go to the polls. I mean, it's a it's a very good question. And, and obviously anyone who votes through absentee ballots, which both parties really like um, because it creates an opportunity for people perhaps who are disabled, who are older to actually participate in the process. And that worry isn't articulated as a potential problem with absentee ballots. And so again, this is you know one of those things that I think that is really an argument that is more about trying to prevent this from occurring than being a problem that's real and could be fairly substantial. 
as the uh, incoming Secretary of State mentioned, we're looking at a system in Connecticut probably in the three to five or seven day uh, window. Um, you know, most people make their mind up very early about who they're going to vote for. They do it on the basis of partisanship. Um, there's no sort of long history of big surprises that occur. And so, you know, before Election Day like that. And so, again, I just think it's a uh, it's a problem and that's in search of, you know, something, you know, to hang on that isn't really a, a real problem. What about cost? Well, I think that I think that certainly will be an issue. And, you know, we've got, as um, the incoming secretary said, we've got a lot of models from around the country that we can look at. And I'm sure this group of people who will look at designing this system will look at those models. That information is readily available. So this has been tested out. Remember, we're not leading the pack here. We're actually following the pack. And so 46 other states have some form of early voting that we can look at and we can figure out what are the best practices and actually reproduce them here in Connecticut. Back on where we live right now is Representative Stephanie Thomas, who is also the newly elected secretary of the state in Connecticut. Does early voting mean recruiting more poll workers, I guess? Not necessarily, um, but they would have to potentially work additional days. Um, and, and again, it will depend on what model we ultimately adapt. But um, we also uh, uh, there are opportunities to loop in other communities that don't typically serve as poll workers, for example, there are people who would volunteer, but they aren't available to work all day on Tuesday. Um, and many towns try to only bring in volunteers who can work the entire day. An early voting period, you know, it may only be open three or four hours, or it may be open early morning, late at night after the standard workday. So that would allow us to tap into other uh, uh, additional uh, poll workers. What about the towns and having to figure this out? Can your office help in terms of, of I guess, personnel or, uh, I guess, lobby the state for more money? Is there anything you could do to try to make sure that the towns have some help in implementing early voting? I will definitely be lobbying for more money. I'll be um, definitely uh, a good partner to the towns, making sure they have access to answers to any questions that arise. But more importantly, I definitely will be a partner to them in getting their feedback before any recommendation is made. Um, many registrars around the state have already reached out to me, and I'm hoping to have some additional meetings. I had some earlier this year so that I know that I hear firsthand from the actual practitioners uh, what their concerns are and what their challenges might be. Um, but we will definitely be in partnership at the secretary's office, and I will be uh, speaking with the legislature uh, so that they can be a strong partner as well. I can ask you a million questions about elections. <laughs> I only have time for two more if you can humor me here. Sure. There's been a challenge to early voting. There's a status conference, I think, happening actually today in a local superior court to take up a legal filing from a New Britain resident that says the constitutional amendment on early voting prior to Election Day wasn't properly posed to state residents. That's what she says. What's your reaction to the legal challenge, Representative Thomas? 
Um, you know, I'll let the lawyers, um, obviously I have not, uh, I'm not yet secretary, so I haven't been privy to, uh, information that is different than what we all have read. Um, so I, you know, uh, from what I understand, the lawyers are confident that because of the results that, um, uh, it, it will go through, uh, it won't be seen as a problem. And then, and then lastly here, before I let you go, voting technology, things like that. I know that you sparred a little bit with uh, Dominic Rapini on this during the debates, but what do you think about our technology and, and any plans once you're in office to try to update it, I guess? It's actually one of the few things we were in agreement about. <laughs> um, most people know we have to update our um, tabulators, that machine that you feed the ballot into. Um, we we purchased them over 20 years ago. There are some issues with getting parts if they break down. So that will be job number one, making sure that our hardware is upgraded. Um, and then we have some software upgrades to do as well. Uh, the secretary's office is currently working on our um, EMS system and our CVR system, which uh, without getting too much into the weeds is how... Uh, our election workers upload data um, about voter registration, et cetera. So all of those things we can expect to move forward on in the coming year. Representative Stephanie Thomas, congratulations on winning election for Secretary of the State. Thank you so much for joining us on Where We Live. Thank you for having me. Have a good all, day. All right. Take care, Stephanie. Thank you. And we're going to keep Bilal Siku with us, Dr. Siku. He's going to join us for the next segment. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is Where We Live. I'm Frankie Graziano. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. We're back with Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Hartford, Dr. Bilal Siku, to talk about early voting. And we have another guest joining us at this time, John Hudak, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. Welcome, John. Welcome to Where We Live. Thank you, Frankie. It's good to be here. 
Before I ask you a question, John, I want to go back to our audience to try to solicit some feedback from them. Listeners, did you vote for early voting? And what about something Connecticut doesn't have yet? No excuse absentee balloting. We want to hear from you. 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. John, I'm hoping today that you can help us kind of zoom out and look at early voting across America. What can you tell us about early voting in the 50 states? Early voting has really become a mainstream, widely adopted election procedure in the United States. It's something that states have been doing for a couple of decades uh, or more in some states. Uh, As you noted at the outset, Connecticut uh, joins 47 other states uh, in adopting early voting procedures. It's also true in the District of Columbia and elsewhere. Uh, And uh, in early voting typically means, uh, as the professor said earlier, in-person early voting, although some states that have transitioned entirely to mail ballot systems uh, have done away with early voting systems. But this is something that Uh, As you noted, most Americans are in favor of, uh, many Americans use regularly, uh, and most Americans have used at some point. Is this polling stations in in towns across America, or do they do it through mailboxes like we saw in 2020 where people could drop off ballots? How's How's the early voting done generally? So what we've seen in the wake of COVID is real agility from states to try to make changes to their election administration systems to make it as easy as possible for many individuals to vote. And so early voting can be in the form of uh, mail balloting or absentee balloting that is dropped off at polling centers or in drop boxes. But what we're talking about here and what Connecticut voters approved last week was in-person early voting, which functions very similarly to the way that a voter would vote on election day in person at a polling site uh, using a machine. uh, And that is simply replicated on additional days prior to election day. What about hours? Uh, Does it impact how long the polls are open on election day and prior to election day? Are we talking about having a, a 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. kind of feel like you would in Connecticut for Election Day? What what do the hours look like nationally? So typically, um, er, the implementation of early voting doesn't have a significant impact on a state's decision over when uh, voting uh, locations will open and close on Election Day. Now, from state to state, uh, the hours that polls are open varies uh, fairly significantly. Typically, a state is open uh, a minimum of 11 or 12 hours, Connecticut being an exception, being open for 14. Uh, But what uh, the professor noted earlier that the implementation of in-person early voting uh, can and typically does cut down on wait times on Election Day. That doesn't often motivate states to shorten the number of voting hours available for voters uh, on election day. And what's important to remember, too, is that most voters who are voting in Connecticut have been voting in Connecticut for multiple election cycles. And so the hours that polls are opened are really institutionalized or socialized uh, for voters. And so changing them in a significant way could really do harm for voters who are used to the rules uh, as usual uh, come the next election. You invoked something the professor said earlier. Dr. Siku, you still there? Yes, I am. Can you jump back in here and uh, tell me about your your take on 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 people that vote early? Who votes early generally? What are you hearing about that? 
Well, you know, as as uh, John said, you know, there's a wide variety of Americans who take advantage of this opportunity. Certainly, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, during election cycles, we saw it this this past election cycle and also in 2020, that, you know, Democrats tend to vote earlier than Republicans do, who tend to show up more often on election day. And of course, you know, one of the bugs we've got to work out in, you know, in this process, especially around absentee ballots is, you know, to the extent we're still using them is when those votes are counted. I mean, we're still trying to figure out in some states who won offices. And, you know, and this is for an election that happened, you know, a little bit back. So, you know, certainly we've got to work through, you know, many of those kinds of bugs. But, you know, the idea here is that this will create an opportunity, for example, for people of color to vote um, who, because of, you know, class differences in our society, they, the fact that they have to, you know, perhaps get up early in the morning and go to work um, and not have the ability to take time off to go exercise that right to vote, that this could help. In fact, there was a, a poll by Connecticut Rise, uh, the Connecticut Rise Political Action Committee that showed that 71% of people of color here in Connecticut were in favor of early voting. As I mentioned earlier, single parents can take advantage of this opportunity. Many different working class you know, groups of people, young people as well who are at colleges and universities can you know, shoot home real fast, perhaps if there's a Saturday availability and vote and then get back to campus. And so there are a lot of people you know, who can take advantage of this opportunity. I spoke recently to the American Civil Liberties Union Connecticut chapter. I spoke to Claudine Constant. And she said, if you don't have early voting, it's voter suppression because it's voter access, right? Anytime you restrict access, you're suppressing the right to vote. What are your thoughts on that statement, Dr. Siku? Sure. I, you know, and once again, I think this, this idea of expanding access, giving more people the opportunity to vote, I think, is really what we should be about as a democratic society. We want everyone to have voice and representation in our political system. And so early voting is yet another opportunity to give people voice and representation. Election day, you know, can disproportionately, uh, you know, result in people not being able to exercise that basic right and not being represented. And, you know, what is, as I said at the very beginning, the most critical, you know, and most important role you can play in a democratic society, which is to exercise your right to vote and pick the people who will be representing you and be your voice and so and represent and represent you. And so we just need to make it easier. John, who votes on uh, early voting? I, I, I think I've jumped over you in asking this. I think I should have asked you. But is it is it Democrats that vote more? Is it a younger population? What are the kind of demographics that we're looking at? Well, those demographics vary considerably by state. Now, we know that in terms of mail balloting and absentee balloting uh, by mail, not in person early voting, those votes tend to skew uh, Democratic. Now, what we're seeing, however, in some of the states out west that are taking quite a bit of time to count votes, uh, we're seeing batches of releases of uh, early voting uh, that sometimes skew Democratic, sometimes skew Republican, sometimes have very little difference between uh, the votes that Democrats and Republicans are getting. Uh, as the professor noted, though, there are certain demographic groups in our society, <clears throat> excuse me, for whom voting on Election Day is more difficult. 
uh, people who hold multiple jobs, young people, uh, the elderly, et cetera. And so those can cut uh, in democratic directions, particularly among young people, uh, particularly among people holding multiple jobs, uh, people with lower incomes, et cetera. Uh, but we know that older people in this country uh, tend to be more conservative and vote more Republican. And so the idea, however, that we should make determinations about voter access and polling access based on the ways in which it may skew towards Democrats or towards Republicans really misses the point. What we should be striving for is to make sure that every individual in our country who can legally cast a ballot casts a ballot on election day or prior to election day, uh, casts a ballot in that election. And so the more opportunities that we offer people to vote, the more likely we are going to get closer to universal voting in a given state, in a given town or city, and certainly nationally. And so I think while any conversation around voting becomes politicized, uh, we should depoliticize that conversation as much as possible and recognize uh, that voting is a small d democratic goal and whether it helps Democrats or Republicans or independents should not matter to achieving that ultimate goal. We're talking about ease of, of, of getting to the to the polls and, and, and balloting and making sure that people could cast their votes early if they need to because of work or whatever. Susan on Twitter is joining in on the conversation. She says, I voted for early voting in Connecticut to give more people a chance to vote based on their work and travel needs. It's also concerned when I learned that travel was not an acceptable reason for requesting an absentee ballot. What are your thoughts on on, on a statement like that, uh, John? I think that's spot on. And I think one of the other opportunities that early voting offers individuals uh, is to accommodate their unpredictable schedule. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people uh, in the state of Connecticut and really across the country who can have fairly unpredictable work schedules. When you think of first responders, when you think of doctors, um, there's a variety of groups who on election day might be tied up for very extended periods of time because of the nature of their work. Uh, and one of the things that early voting can offer, especially if you allow early voting uh, to happen on weekends prior to election day, uh, is that individuals can find a day off if they have a day off or a segment of time uh, that they have off during that early voting period and can vote knowing uh, that on election day, they may not be able to make it to the polls. And, and that's an important accommodation as well. And if folks want to join in on the conversation, as Susan just did on Twitter, you can call in do Connecticut Public and make sure that your comment is featured on the air. You can join us on Facebook or tweet us at where we live. The number to call, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. She was responding to whether or not she voted for early voting, and we're also asking folks about something Connecticut doesn't have yet, no excuse absentee balloting. I just want to ask you, John, turnout. Does this lead to higher turnout or uh, more people coming out to vote in elections if we have early voting? Well, there are a lot of forces that factor into voter turnout in states. Now, Connecticut tends to have an above average uh, voter turnout. And so it's certainly not a state that is uh, in dire need of boosting turnout, at least relative to other states. Now, 
that said, there are still a lot of people who don't vote on election day. There are a lot of people who don't vote in midterm elections or off-year elections. Uh, but certainly any opportunity that you have uh, to increase access to the polls can have a positive impact on the number of people uh, who vote. Now, when you look at a state that has early voting, to try to compare it to a state that doesn't have early voting can be like comparing apples and oranges because, again, the forces within a state, uh, within a given election cycle, et cetera, that encourage or discourage people from voting vary pretty dramatically. Uh, but what I think we should look at in the coming years as Connecticut implements early voting is to compare similar elections, compare uh, post-early voting to pre-early voting presidential elections, uh, to compare post-early voting midterms to pre-early voting midterms, and then ask that question as a research question and see whether it has an impact uh, on turnout. Ultimately, we would expect that it would have a positive impact on turnout, but regardless of whether it does, it is a good step in the right direction. I say if it encourages one or two more people to vote in the state of Connecticut, then it's worth it because it's one or two more people who wouldn't have voted otherwise. Hey, Frankie, can I jump in? For yes, a I was just see. Yeah, you, right. It's like we're it's like we're <laughs> zapatical here. Go ahead. Yeah, just to add a couple of things. I, th I think this question of, of ease of access, I think, is a really important question. You know, the town I vote in out here in Vernon, I normally I'm able to breeze in and out of my polling place. And, you know, and so for me, it's, it doesn't take that long to do that. And other communities, especially our urban areas, and we see this play out all across the country, people have to stand in line. Sometimes those lines are really long lines and people can become discouraged. Uh, they have time commitments and they can't wait, you know, the entire period that it may take some time to wait to actually be able to cast their ballot. And so having the opportunity to vote, say, on a Saturday, um, in some communities where there was the opportunity to vote on a Sunday, you know, you had black churches, particularly in the South, places like North Carolina and Georgia that would do souls to the polls in which they would transport people after church to the polling place. They didn't tell them how to vote, but they gave them that opportunity to vote on a Sunday and, and it can affect turnout, you know, in the long run. And I think the other thing that's really important to, to keep into consideration is that early voting is only one of many reforms that we should be looking at that will ease access to the ballot. And so, you know, coupling it with things like automatic voter registration, where someone, you know, when you, once you turn 18, you will automatically be registered to vote unless you opt out is key. I think having that, the opportunity is you're going to, we're going to talk later perhaps about absentee ballots, expanding that, you know, opportunity for people to utilize, you know, that. And so, uh, and other sort of options that are out there. So there are a lot of reforms that we can put in place that will make uh, voting something that is easy and accessible and also uh, safe and secure. And I think we need to be thinking about how we do that. Last question in this particular segment uh, goes to the professor here. And I guess we got to keep it sort of brief here. But we recently had an election in Connecticut where it looks like turnout was higher in the suburbs than it was in the city. So naturally, people say, well, people in the cities decided not to vote this election. If we have early voting and we have absentee balloting, wouldn't that be something like uh, like giving, I guess, more of a voice to to people in vulnerable populations and giving them a chance to vote early? 
Right. And as I you know, said repeatedly, I'm a proponent of expanding access and opportunity and giving people voice and representation. I think the thing about to also keep in mind with the 2018 election versus the 2022 election is that the 2016 election occurred. And I think to some extent, 2018 was the Trump bump. We saw that, for example, I'm on the National Governing Board of Common Cause. We saw a lot of people worried about democracy who all of a sudden started to donate tons of money to various organizations in the democracy space. And so, you know, 2018 represented a kind, perhaps a kind of Trump bump, you know, and again, creating ease of access, doing something that the secretary, the incoming secretary of state mentioned about expanding voter education. All of that is a part of how we bring up these numbers and get more people to turn out to vote in off-year elections and also municipal elections when they occur. One more segment. I feel like I have a million questions for you guys. Hopefully I can get to some of them here. Uh, but nonetheless, you can join in on a conversation, too, if you're listening, if you want to. 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook at Twitter at Where We Live. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is Where We Live. I'm Frankie Graziano. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. We're talking about early voting coming to Connecticut, and we want to hear from you. Listeners, did you vote for early voting? And what about something Connecticut doesn't have yet? No excuse absentee balloting. We want to hear from you. 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And we have a comment from a listener named Melissa who says that she prefers absentee balloting. Sorry, I'm scrolling up on my Slack screen to tell you this. I prefer absentee voting, she says, so I'm not surprised by the ballot content and have a chance to research my options. And we got a couple of guests that could talk about this with me. John Hudak, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and Dr. Bilal Siku from the University of Hartford. Gentlemen, you just heard what uh, Melissa on on uh, Facebook says about preferring absentee voting. I just want to bring in Bilal at the top here because you said you wanted to talk about absentee balloting uh, in this in this segment. What do you got for me? <laughs> Again, I think this will be the next step in expanding access uh, into voting here in Connecticut. You know, our hope. Uh, you know, and again, as you mentioned, I'm the chair of the board for a common cause in Connecticut. This is an issue we've been working on for a number of years to, again, you know, get no excuse absentee balloting to allow Connecticut voters to, to exercise, you know, that right, you know, to vote um, and participate in our democratic process. So the hope is that the legislature will work on that this year, that we will get those votes that we need. And that, you know, again, this will be a measure that will have to go before the voters once again, and I feel like we are building the kind of momentum we need to make it happen. No excuse absentee balloting is something that we don't have in Connecticut, John Hudak. John, do, do, do a lot of states have both early voting and no excuse absentee balloting? Do you find that that's a, that's a case or is that a, a rare? 
rarity. Yeah, several states do, and, and several states have recently implemented that in the wake of COVID-19 uh, to make access to voting as easy as possible in the wake of a pandemic. To me, this issue is a no-brainer. Um, if someone wants to vote absentee, why should a state put significant restrictions in place uh, as to the as to determine whether or not they would qualify for that? For me, it, at least, it it, it appears, or, or my way of thinking is, if you're going to be on a plane to California on election day, why is that any different uh, than someone who is sitting at their house and saying, you know what, I would much rather not go out to the polls early voting uh, or on election day. I would rather the registrar mail me a, a ballot. I will fill that ballot out. I will comply with all of the rules around filling that ballot out and drop it in the mailbox. Voting is voting and the state is stepping in the right direction toward breaking down the barriers that exist uh, that that keep people from voting. Uh, but as the professor said, there's still a lot more work to be done. And the last thing uh, that the state of Connecticut should uh, take away from passing the initiative last week is that this is a job well done. This is part of a job well done moving forward. Ah, but I'm absentee. I'm excuse me. I'm anti absentee voting guy X. And I'm coming at you, John, and I'm saying, hey, uh, where where are these absentee ballots coming from? How do how do how do people get them? Are they getting them illegally? And hey, my my poll results aren't coming through on election night. This something something nefarious has to be happen happening. What do you what do you say to all that? Because I'm sure you hear it a lot about uh, results not coming in right away and, and and counting continuing well past election day. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my first my first answer would be stop getting your information from Facebook. My second <laughs> spicy. <laughs> My second answer would be uh, that to look into uh, Secretary of State websites to understand how absentee balloting works. It's an incredibly safe, uh, well-tracked system that states have been using for decades uh, to, to varying degrees. Uh, and the incidence of absentee ballot-based voter fraud is so infinitesimal in this country uh, that it is essentially a rounding error that's not going to have an impact on elections. And so uh, the, the goal should be to ensure that election systems are safe and secure, and that's true of absentee ballot systems. Uh, and it is on the Secretary of State to make sure that it meets those requirements. But this idea that this is just uh, an, a sea of voter fraud just does not meet reality and does not meet the data that we have. I have a couple more questions for John, but I'm going to pose one last one to the professor here. Bilal, we talked about no excuse absentee balloting if it ever comes through. If you see it in Connecticut, do you think it would go through, uh, you'd have to get your, your ballots from the town clerk, or would there ever be a scenario where people would get ballots mailed to them? I know that's something that Republicans locally wouldn't want to see. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, you know, the, the question perhaps that people really going to ask that comes up often in other states is whether, for example, the secretary of state will mail to people the actual ballot and give everybody the opportunity or will you have to request those ballots? And again, that's something that the legislature would have to work out once we cross that bridge. But I, I think in thinking about this reform and listening to John's comments, I think the other thing that may be important to consider once we cross this bridge 
is also about giving voters the opportunity to correct their ballots, which also I think is a, a big issue. You know, sometimes people forget to sell to sign the sort of form, you know, the the envelope on the inside, or they forget to sign somewhere. And so giving people opportunity to correct ballots, I think, will be important to do. But as John has said, you know, voter fraud is really rare. Impersonated fraud is even rarer. And so uh, I think this is just a question of how do we implement it in a way that is safe and secure and gives people an opportunity to voice, um, you know, to to be to have their voice in our election process. Just to button up that last comment from Dr. Siku about impersonator fraud being rare. In Connecticut, there were many challenges, I guess, about uh, impersonator fraud and dead people voting in the 2020 election. No such records or anything like that found that was well, that was disproved and and john here i just want to ask you a couple of questions here on the way out early voting becoming more of a standard practice nationally what are some other things you'd like to see implemented to expand voting rights well i think that if we extend uh, early voting in itself and then extend early voting uh, to increase the number of days uh the secretary elect was mentioning earlier about you know a three to five day window uh, i frankly think that that's insufficient um i am sensitive to the fact as as someone who was born and raised uh, and educated in connecticut that administering elections at the town and city level rather than the county level uh, does create some real challenges uh, but a three to five day window uh, is very much on the extreme of uh, the short end of in-person absentee uh, voting availability uh, in this country. Some states um, have er uh, in-person uh, early voting uh, up to 40 days in advance of the election. Uh, and so expanding that as much as possible, obviously uh, no excuse uh, absentee balloting uh, is important as well. Uh, making available uh, as, as the professor said, uh, things like souls to the polls uh, and increasing the availability uh, of individuals to have rides and have access and have availability uh, to voting. What I think the state legislature should do, and certainly the Secretary of State should do, uh, is start from a position of saying, uh, how can we design a system that makes it as easy as possible for legal uh, uh, votes to be cast? And how do we get to that point? And it sounds like the secretary of elect, uh, elect is thinking that way. The legislature, to some extent, is thinking that way. Yeah. Uh, but making sure that that is the starting point, rather than just thinking about what Connecticut has now and how we can make small improvements around the edges. John, just 20 seconds on this one really quickly. Election Day being a federal holiday, what do you think? That's a no-brainer. If we celebrate Columbus Day, if we give people off the day after Thanksgiving, we should absolutely give people a day off to make sure that our democracy is as strong as possible and our voting reflects the will of the broader people. Thank you. Absolutely. There absolutely. You, and Bilal co-signs it. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Bilal Siku and John Hudak as well. I'm Frankie Graziano. Today's show produced by where produced today's show of where we live is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Cat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day.